God, you've heard these um, beautiful songs that we've sung to you this morning, and they're an expression of our heart. They're an expression of maybe even um, a time when we have gone through some difficulty and some pain, and yet in the midst of all of that, um, like we were led so well, we can still worship you, and worship is what we need to do in our times of grief, in our times of sorrow, and even maybe in our times of struggle. So I just pray now as we've worshiped you in song, that our hearts have also now been prepared for what you want to say to us through your word. And I pray again, God, that maybe there'll be some things today that we'll be challenged with that we don't want to hear. Um, things that we would rather just leave be. But maybe it's a part of ourselves that needs to be explored and processed and diagnosed. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, that you would be the speaker today. And we wait with anticipation for what you will say to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you may have noticed there were some key words that we decided to not have in any of the songs that we did today. Um, words like rain, <laughs> flow. <laughs> flood um, and well done well done you know so some of you've had some fun this week yes good we're just going to continue today um, and so I want you to just prepare yourself uh, we want to speak today on a person that I think we can learn much from an individual that we know better than some of the other ones that we've maybe looked at and at the same time um, I hope that we learn much uh, today and that we open ourselves up to saying, teach me, God. Speak to me. Learn. Um, let me learn from what you want to show me and speak, uh, say to me. We are in the end of our series, uh, Just Like Us, and we've been going through this all summer and focusing on who are these individuals in Scripture and what can we learn from them. And the heart of it all, though, was that we wanted to recognize that we're no different than them. We are, they were human beings. We are like them in that sense, and that God wants to speak to us, and we want to learn from them. And so the person that we want to focus on today is a man by the name of Joseph. And that's his name. That's his actual name, but no one knows him as Joseph. Everyone knows him as Barnabas. And this is the name that he is given um, in Acts chapter 4, and so if you have your Bibles with you, if you have the church app, you can open that up, sermons and all the notes and everything, scripture should all be there. Acts chapter 4, verse 36, this is where we are introduced to this man named Joseph. Now Barnabas, is a, you know, that's the name that's given to him because that's a testimony, his name and what it means is a testimony to his eloquence. Barnabas, the literal meaning of the word Barnabas is son of prophecy and what the interpreters of the new testament did is they took that and they translated it or they interpreted it as son of encouragement and this is how most of us know barnabas as the son of encouragement but we need to understand that there's much more to this person than just someone who went around encouraging people or patting people on the back and saying well done so let's read Acts chapter 4. We'll start in verse 36, and we'll be jumping around, mainly staying in Acts. But uh, let's read what it says here about Barnabas, or about Joseph. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So from these verses, we can read, we can learn a few things about this person. One is he comes from the island of Cyprus, and it's possible that he heard about the gospel or that he heard the gospel for the first time while in Jerusalem during Pentecost. That's, that's what some scholars believe may have been where Barnabas was introduced to the gospel, but we, we don't know that for, for sure. He belongs to the tribe of Levi, making him a Levite, meaning that he was responsible for sanctuary services. He may have been a teacher of the law in a synagogue in Cyprus, and this, if this was the case, then this means that Barnabas is an educated man. He was someone who would have been very, very familiar with Old Testament. And, and so you can see later on in his life where, where this would have played a significant and a very important role. Now, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we see that he was also, or 37, we see that he was also a very generous person. He supported the church, and, and the, especially the early church. He, we, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he was willing to work while on a missionary trip to raise funds so that he would not be a financial burden to the churches that he was going for, to. So Barnabas is, uh, first off, a, a person that manages money well. He's also a person who was very generous with his money. And then he was one who was willing to do the hard work so that others would not have to do hard work for him and to support him. According to Acts 44, 36, we see this generosity coming out of him and, and this incredible you know, abundance of, of wealth that he had and he was willing to give it to the church. In Acts chapter 11, we are told that the church is rapidly growing in Antioch. And the church in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas there to give direction. So here we are giving another description of, of Barnabas. And so let me read it to you, Acts chapter 11, verse 22. It says, news of this, the growth in the church, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So from this again, we, we see some different things about Barnabas. He is Definitely by now, you're learning that he's not just a, an encourager. He is, he is more than that. He's a good preacher. He's at least someone who could help new converts understand the full gospel and to recognize what it means. Uh, he was a person that when there was a lot of growth and maybe stability needed to be given, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas there as a leader for individuals who were growing and learning about their faith. He's also a leader. Um, we see this again in Acts chapter 15. This is probably when the delegates met in Jerusalem, the Council of Jerusalem. This is, in my opinion, one of the most important people, I mean, sorry, one of the most important meetings that has ever taken place in the history of the church. And Barnabas is in the room. And not only is Barnabas in the room, he is on the right side of the argument. And so this, again, shows us that Barnabas is an incredible leader, He's a great thinker. He's someone who is, who is well-rounded, who is able to represent the truth, who is able to dive past and through tradition and focus in on the gospel. And so Barnabas 
is a key leader in the church for this. We also are told that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And so this again, we see that this even further in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have been called. So after they had prayed, fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So this, the presence of the Holy Spirit was on them, and the presence of the Holy Spirit um, led Barnabas and led the church to recognize that there was a special calling for Barnabas. And here the church commanded or, or decided to separate Barnabas and Saul, later known as Paul, um, to the full-time ministry. Now what you should notice in Scripture is that at this place, Barnabas is still mentioned first making him sort of the, the key person uh, when it comes to the relationship between him and Saul. Barnabas is the leader between the two. Barnabas is a man full of faith, and he places and he puts that faith into action. In Acts chapter 11, he is also described as a good man. Now this may sound somewhat trivial in light of some of the other descriptions that we have about him, However, this speaks not to him as a, as a good man of someone who has a lot of gifts and abilities, but a good man as in character. Barnabas wasn't just a gifted leader. He wasn't just a gifted preacher. He was a man of good character. And this is something, again, that I think is key for us to understand about him. Someone, he was someone people trusted and someone people could depend on. And we see evidence of this in Acts chapter 11. We, we hear about this famine that's taking place. And so the church decides to collect a lot of money. And they want to bring it and give it to the Christians living in Judea. And who do they entrust this money to? Barnabas and Paul. And they, the, the elders give the money to them to bring to the region of Judea. And so here again, this decision signifies the trust that the early church had in Barnabas that they would give him this sum of money to, to transport over to the church. It is in Antioch where Christians are first, or where Christ followers are first called Christians. According to Acts chapter 11 verse 26, we can conclude that Barnabas modeled Christ so well that the church followed suit. And so the church in Antioch followed this as well, and they modeled so well, uh, Christ so well that the people in the region decided that they were going to call them Christians because they were Christ followers. Now you need to understand that this was a derogatory term. This was not a compliment. The people were not saying this to the church as a, wow, we're so proud of you for following Christ so well that we're actually going to refer to you as Christians. So for us today, it is proof again of how well the church back then followed Jesus. That the people around them just couldn't come up with a better name for us than Christian. And this, again, we need to recognize was a group of churches or a church that was led by Barnabas. And Barnabas was the one who modeled this, this life after Jesus. So while the people in Antioch called them Christians to make fun of them, it should be seen for us today as a validation that the church and in Antioch modeled Christ so well. Scripture also tells us of one of Barnabas' failures. He was not a perfect man. In Galatians chapter 2, we are told about a confrontation 
that Peter has, Cephas, as it's referred to in, in Galatians, Peter has in Paul. Paul and Peter have this confrontation, and, and Barnabas allows himself to be influenced in a negative way. He's not a perfect man. So let me read it to you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men from James and came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined in in his hypocrisy so that the, by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now the way Paul writes this, it's, it almost sounds like poor Barnabas. But let's just realize that Barnabas allows himself in this circumstance, and in this situation, to be influenced by Peter and avoid eating with Gentiles in order to somehow save face with the Jewish people that came there. This was wrong. And this was something that explores, exposed the hypocrisy of the, of the early church in, in that time. He's also known to be someone who was ministering to the Gentiles. And he was mature in his faith by now. So this is something that, for whatever reason, he allowed himself to be influenced. Now, it could be that he saw Peter as this incredible, you know, superior um, apostle, and therefore, but regardless of the reason, Barnabas knew that what he was doing was wrong. So in this situation, he gave in, and he did not do what was right. He could have easily stood up to Peter and done what was needed to be done. And so he was not a perfect human being. None of us are. But we also see that Barnabas was a mentor. He took his cousin John Mark under his wings and gave him an opportunity when he, John Mark and Paul, had a disagreement. And on the second missionary journey, they split, and, and Paul refused to take John Mark with him. And so Barnabas decided to take John Mark and nurture him and mentor him. And I want to conclude that John, I mean that Barnabas did such a good job with John Mark that Paul later asked Timothy to bring Mark because now Mark was, had again become helpful in his ministry, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And this is the side of Barnabas that I want us to focus on today. Leading other people. Involving our lives and using our lives to influence others and to, to nurture them and to bring them to a full understanding of the gospel. So hopefully by now, you recognize that Barnabas is so much more than just this sidekick to Paul. Yes, later Paul is going to overshadow Barnabas, and we hear much more about Paul than we do about him. But it's this initial role that Barnabas played in the church that I want us to really consider today. See, John Mark could have easily become a casualty between the split of these two church leaders. Barnabas could have easily said, you know what, I'm going to side with Paul. I'm going to go with him. You know, he's kind of the guy. He's, he's the one everyone's tweeting about. He's the one everyone's talking about. You know, I'm going to line myself up with that guy because that's where the future is. But Barnabas doesn't. He chooses to nurture and care for this person. And remember, Barnabas is described as a good man. He couldn't, he couldn't see himself abandoning a fellow wounded servant. 
someone who may have made a poor decision, who did something that irritated Paul, and maybe rightfully so. Instead, Barnabas decides to mold John Mark into someone who would again be a valuable member to the ministry of Jesus Christ in the church. And here's something I want you to recognize as well. If anyone should not have been surprised by this, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Because it's the Apostle Paul that really felt or experienced the full weight of this good characterness of Barnabas, this character that Barnabas had. Paul was, in the early church, someone who was persecuting the church. He was the one driving around, going around, and literally destroying and doing his best to destroy the church. And he wanted to kill all the Christians, all the people who belonged to the way. And then after his conversion, um, the church, of course, would have been very hesitant. And it was Barnabas who decided that he was going to help him out. I want us to go to Acts chapter 9. Because I want to read to us a few, quite a few verses here. And they need to be read because we need to understand why the church is so hesitant to bring Barnabas into their midst. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. This is now shortly or three days or so after Paul's conversion. And the Lord is now speaking to a man named Ananias. Anani um, verse 13. Ananias answered, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. He's talking about Saul, later known as Paul. And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to their people, Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who came and who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? See, these are people outside of the church who recognize who Paul is. Verse 22, And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, they were, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening of the wall. This is the journey of Saul or Paul. And here's what we see in the very next verse. In the very next verse, we hear that Paul has now gone to Jerusalem. And according to what he writes, what Paul writes in Galatians, he's made two trips. He makes two trips to Jerusalem. 
The first one is after three years in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18. And there he only met with some of the apostles. Uh, the second trip happens, according to Galatians chapter four, 2, verse 1, happens 14 years later. And this time he goes with Barnabas. So while the timeline here is a little confusing because in Acts it sounds like it happened right one after another, but according to Paul, it's either three years later or 14 years later. But what we do know is that he ends up in Jerusalem and the disciples there will not invite him in. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But, verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly the name, in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now considering the timeline, and there's some question here, considering the timeline, what we just read here in verse 26 and on, it raises some questions for us. First, why did it take so long, possibly 14 years, for the church to trust Paul? Secondly, why didn't the other apostles step up and help Paul? After all, according to Paul in Galatians, he stayed with Peter for 15 days in his first trip to Jerusalem. Why did Peter not stand up and say, as the superior apostles, and say, hey, I spent 15 days with this guy. He's good. He's one of us. But he didn't. Why did Peter not come to his defense? We, we don't know. But what we see is that when no one else would, Barnabas did. And this is a part of Barnabas that we need to learn from. Look again at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And not only did he bring him in, he tells them all about what Paul has done. Remember how cautious Ananias was. And clearly the early church is still just as cautious because it says right there, they're not really sure if he was a disciple. And yet Barnabas decides that he's going to risk it all. Barnabas steps up. And while no one else would, Barnabas did. And here is what I want you to notice. Barnabas was willing to put his own reputation, his own name behind someone he believed in when no one else did. Barnabas is an, exact, an excellent example for you and I today of what it means to be a Christian mentor. He encouraged Paul and he believed in him when no one else would after his conversion. Barnabas was, was also provided Paul with an opportunity to minister in Antioch. He went out and he sought out Paul and he brought him to Antioch and he, and he ministered to him. And again, I believe here Paul, Barnabas had a huge role in discipling and preparing um, Paul for ministry. Barnabas could have gone solo, but instead he invested in a person that the early church struggled to accept. 
And then on top of all of that, Barnabas was even willing to let Paul advance while he stayed back. He was willing to take the second row or the second seat. For Paul and Barnabas, um, you know, the, first it was Barnabas and Paul, and later on in Scripture, it's all about Paul and Barnabas. And this is an, a beautiful example to us again of how Barnabas was willing to mentor and lead Paul to a certain place and then step out of the way and let this man do what God had called him to do. For both Paul and John Mark, Barnabas did an excellent job in preparing them for ministry. Paul ends up becoming far more prominent, far more um, you know, known than Barnabas ever did, and it seems that Paul, Barnabas had no issue with that. And this is where I want us to stop this morning and pause in this reflection of what we've learned about Barnabas up to this point. And I want to wrap this sermon up with a few thoughts and a few questions. And the first question I want you to ask yourself, and what I want us to ask ourselves as a, as a church, what is our motive for being a Christian? What is our motive for being a Christian? Now, trust me, this question is much deeper than just the, why are you a Christian? What is your motive for being a Christian? What is our reason? Why? What is the end goal for you and I today as Jesus followers? You and I need to know this because Barnabas was one of those people that's like, my motive, my goal, my end in all of this is to bring people with and to lead more and more to Christ. See, if our motive for being a Jesus follower is just so that we can get to heaven, we're not going to have any significant impact on how we live our lives. And, and we're not going to have an impact on the, how other people live. If our motive is so that we can have our own community where everyone thinks the same and acts and agrees on all the same things, we're forming tribes, not churches. If our motive is self, just what I can get out of it, this whole idea that it's just me and Jesus and we're good, we're not going to sacrifice and struggle for others. These people that think this way are the ones who, who go to church like this on a Sunday morning and, and they're here just because, well, we need to go to church. Or These are, these are the people that really don't invest in the spiritual well-being of other people because it's about them. What is our motive for being Jesus followers. See, there's many possible motives that we can come up with. So we need to consider now, what can we learn from Barnabas? His motive for being a Jesus follower was Jesus. To embrace Jesus fully. To live for Him with everything. To be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to put his own reputation, his own wealth, his own name at risk for the sake of the gospel. Like Barnabas, we too can be a source of encouragement for others in their spiritual journey. And by great, God's grace, we can point them to Jesus and help them grow in their relationship with Christ. But if our motive for being a Christian is not Jesus, we will never even bother because we will be content to focus on ourselves. We cannot do this. 
like Barnabas, who made personal sacrifices to help the church, we can do the same. So I want to speak to us about something today that I will just admit is a frustration for me. And it is this. That in the church, there's often this, a growing number of people who are no longer focused about growing the church or building this church or serving in the church. They become apathetic about that and they're just focused on self. And praise God that the early church did not have that mindset. See, yes, we have our mission statements. But are we actively leading people to become fully devoted followers of God? Or is that just something we've believed in? Are we willing, church, are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to put our name, our reputation, our conveniences, our comfort on the line for the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus? This is not a guilt trip. Been a pastor here, as was said, on Friday will be 25 years. So I trust this morning that I have earned the right to be direct and frank with you. I have seen this church over the years go through many seasons, and one of the most dangerous ones was this, is we became inward focused. And when we became inward focused, it took a lot of work on the part of the leadership of the board, uh, the leadership of the church, and the, minister, uh, the staff here to reverse that. See, when we focus on it being inward focused, we are focused on what we are comfortable with, what is convenient for us, and we stop making the sacrifices that are needed to grow the church. And I'm not talking just about Sunday morning attendance. So my prayer is, that we would be like Barnabas. That there would be a revival in our hearts to bring people to Christ and to grow the church. That we would be willing to serve. We've had the summer off for Sunday school, and I hope you've enjoyed it. But that we would be willing to serve. We need volunteers. We cannot do this without volunteers. So we need to be willing to serve. We need to make room for new people. And yes, I know you're tired of it, but I'm talking about people from here going to the second English service. But I will say this. We need to all become uncomfortable because I think all of our services need to be rethought. Because there's growth that's happening, but we are not adjusting to it. And that needs to change. Barnabas felt pressure like you and I did or do today to stay in the comfortable, to stay in what's safe, to sit with Peter. And when Peter moves because Jews came in and, and now I'm with Gentiles and this is not going to go well, Barnabas felt the pressure and he gave in. But luckily, that's not what, we are, that's not what he is known for. He is known as someone who stepped up and put everything on the line to lead those who needed to be drawn into Christ. He stepped up. He put everything out there to bring Paul into the midst of the church. Now, our circumstances, our situations, our moments are going to be different, but the mindset needs to be the same. 
that we are willing to make sacrifices for the growth of the church. So let's learn from Barnabas. And I'm not saying that none of you here are, but let's learn from him and let's invest in people so that they too can follow Christ. And church, as I'm coming to my 25 years, I will say this with all confidence, the best is yet to come. Jesus is not done with Deer Run Church. And if you love this church, and if you love what this church stands for, there are people who've gone before you to make it this, who were obedient to Christ, to be led by Jesus, to make sacrifices, to give generously, to make their time, to give, to serve, all of those things, and it is now on us in 2023 to do that for those who are coming after us because the best is yet to come. Jesus has called all of you to his mission. Not one of us in this room is off the hook. Not one of you here today can say, well, that's awesome for someone else. No, if you've given your life to Jesus, the call to lead people to Christ is on you. And I see your potential. I see your gift. I see the opportunity that you have. Open your eyes and see it as well. God wants to use you. God wants to use us as a church in this community. And we see the lost around us. Why would we slow down now? Let's continue to be obedient. Let's be the Barnabas in the people around us. Let's be Barnabas in those moments when we need to put our name aside and focus on Jesus instead. So I conclude this sermon with a simple, let's go and do it. Amen? Amen. God bless you.